0: Yes, if you did grab one of those blue Bibles from the black box, uh, you can find uh, today's Bible reading, Luke chapter 17, on page 1049. So, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10, and it's also on the screen behind me. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty.
1: It's a joy to remember what Jesus has done for us and to celebrate when people want to acknowledge that in our community. Um, And it's great, I, I want to... To just share a moment with Solly many years ago, before we even started Grove, and we went to his house, and I was with the man and Stephen thinking about planting. And there's Solly working at a church and got a church set up, and he was preparing for Trinity Grove North, and he's going to be the church plant of Trinity Grove North. I thought that was a great story of well, that, that mindset, that attitude, and that was fun. What we're going to do now, as we think about uh, God's word together, is we're going to think about uh, how do we follow Jesus. What does that look like? Uh, we've just we've just spent some time thinking about what it means or how that you are saved, not by what you do, but by Jesus' death for us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that, that's something for you to wrestle with. Is that actually something that I should follow? But as followers of Jesus, uh, all of us today can consider what does that look like? And even if you're not sure where you are before God, you get a snippet today on four aspects of what a disciple of Jesus should care about and that's why I've picked just uh, chapter 17 verse, uh, verses 1 to 10 for us to look at today um, and I've moved over uh, a couple of great passages that I'd love to share with you but I wanted to just reflect on four things about what it is to live as a disciple that I think Jesus picks up on in chapter 17 verses 1 to 10. Uh, In the bit, in your booklet there, there's a blank page for an outline. You can, if you like writing things down, like some of you do, you can write down um, the main, the point for each one and then I'll have an application question or idea that can go with that if that's helpful for you. Let me pray and then we're going to get into this passage and see how we live. Heavenly Father, we don't just want to say we love Jesus, we want to live it out and as Jesus literally is journeying to the cross and teaching us what it means to live a life walking with you help us to be challenged and convicted by your spirit amen so the first one is very clearly teaching matters uh, if you've got um chapter 17 open uh in front of you it would be helpful if you did have a look at the first uh, just the first uh, couple of verses Jesus said to the disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone to whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these uh, little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. So what's on view is apostasy. It's false faith. Watch out if you're the problem. He's painting a picture of how bad that problem is. It's quite stark and blunt and confronting, isn't it? Death is a better fate for you if you cause someone to stumble. If you trace back why they stumbled, you are the one who are facilitated, encouraged and shown them and helped them do that. Woe to you. And this isn't from the outside necessarily, is it? He's talking to the disciples and he says, if it comes from within God's people. Well, what's the stumbling? Stumbling, an enticement to sin. And I think the context is, without going into depth, is false faith, the false belief, which can easily move into false living. That means you don't see God as your Lord. Imagine if in the baptism we looked at the booklets and what we did in the baptism is we said, Moses, Moses and Solomon, how do you get to have a relationship with Jesus? And the response that they held up was, because I taught them this, I am a good person and you watch me do even better. And what if throughout their Uh, their life in the church, you, brothers and sisters, continue to encourage them in that. Woe to you. Or, if you're in in, in a relationship and you convince your partner, even though you're not married, that sex before marriage is what God's actually okay with it. It's actually what, the Bible doesn't really tell you that that's not what he likes, it's okay. That a relationship between anyone is fine and you convince someone of that. You are causing someone to stumble and teaching matters and how we think matters. Verse 2, we see that it says that you cause these little ones to stumble. But those not We're not talking about children here per se, we're talking about The community is one that actually has care and protection. And for those that are immature in their faith, you really want to care and protect them. And this isn't a word for me as a pastor and other leaders here. Watch yourselves, disciples. Always watch yourselves. And so if teaching matters, I think the first application point that I want to challenge you with today is we care about the teaching of salvation and how we live it out. We care passionately about the truth, understanding how we're saved by Jesus and how this relates to living as God's people. We care about other people's relationship with Jesus. I, I, I got the vibe, I'm sure you got the vibe, that we all actually... We're doing that together today. We care about people's relationship with Jesus. And God clearly cares because why would we have a community symbol to acknowledge what God has done if we didn't care together? And so we realise the consequences for us if we don't. Can you see how important this is? So often, church gets itself into strife when it gets loose on the idea that humanity doesn't really sin, that our problem isn't rejection of God and that we're facing His wrath, that Jesus—did He really die? Well, maybe He did, but it's just as an example. It wasn't really for um, to take away our sin. Or, okay, yeah, He did that, but the resurrection—that's so far fetch. We don't miracles today. Come on, Him. Jesus rising from the... and when we just chip away at that we chip away at causing one to stumble and that's when the church gets itself into trouble and so for us as the church here we all together care about it that's the first aspect of being a disciple the second one i think Jesus points us towards is a community living out God's grace cares about rebuking and forgiving. This is probably the one I've got most on, and the biggest one, possibly the one that, oh, really, wretches the heart. Let's just read verse 3 and 4 and then reflect on it together. So, after he says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. A, God, uh, a community that's shaped with God's grace wants to be like Jesus, has a responsibility to rebuke about sin and forgive one another when there's Repentance. Both commitments they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, unless you want disaster. Godly rebuking is essential. You see, just as we don't want to be um, want to be blamed for one who causes one to stumble, we don't also want to just sit on the sidelines either, and sit idly by. Followers of Jesus participate in each other's desire to pursue living God's way, pursuing righteousness. So what if we said everything that we said today exactly as we did in the baptism? But Moses and Solly's responses were um, in, in how they're okay with God is that, I am awesome. Why wouldn't God be okay with me? I am going to show you how awesome I am every time I come on a Sunday, and if they said that, even though we said everything different, but we just ignored it, would we not be doing a great disservice see we we care about rebuking those. To help them see what how God wants them to live, but we also do this as a disciple mart by a forgiving heart. Godly rebuking only helps pursue righteousness if everyone involved has a forgiving heart. Harsh, judgmental, Pharisee-like rebuking or a bitter unforgiving heart will not help us achieve godly living so this is hard isn't it but we see in these in these couple uh, sentences forgiveness has no tipping point where it no longer applies you see how bluntly Jesus says that? Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent. You, if you can muster it, if you can try and do your best, if it doesn't affect you too emotionally, if you're not going to be too bitter about it, then forgive them. It doesn't say that, does it? You must forgive them. There's no tipping point in either the amount of times you need to forgive or the severity that needs to be forgiven. Always, you must, is a a big concept for us to wrestle with. This is another time when the Christian community can fracture so often. And it's not because there's sin in the Christian community, is it? Because... We say regularly, we do it at every communion, we say it often when we open up the scriptures because they tell us and we hear and remind ourselves that we sin. We actually sin against each other, those that we love, those that we struggle. In this room, we sin against each other, we sin, we reject God in some ways. Where it fractures is when we deal with it badly, without forgiveness and without repentance. Or if we just push the sin under the rug as if it's the, white, the big white elephant in the room that we're not even going to worry about. Consider the model of forgiveness that saves you. Jesus. When did he forgive you? There's many ways we can say it. Romans 5 is often a great way, isn't it? While we were his enemies, there is no tipping point for Jesus in how he sees you. And if you are here thinking you don't deserve forgiveness or that you haven't been forgiven, Jesus is saying to you, I forgive you no matter how despicable you think you are, or even if you're so despicable you don't think you are despicable, I'll forgive you acknowledge what i've done for you he died for you when we saw him like that he died for us before we asked for forgiveness he was willing to forgive there is no tipping point if that's what saves us that shapes the type of person we are that you are and we constantly come back to those times when we let bitterness rise that we all do A community living out God's grace cares about rebuking and forgiving. And so the second application is, are you willing to receive godly rebuke and offer forgiveness? We all get it wrong at times. Let me ask you, are you the first to rebuke but are no good at hearing it? That is a destructive way to be. And probably you should stop rebuking until you sort out your own heart. We all need to be lovingly rebuked. Our spouses, our friends, our leaders, our teams, the people we have, and people we're in contact with. Oh, should you be doing that? It, it? It's it's how God has created His people to be. Are you the type of person who wants to rebuke first, and uh, rather than receive it? Consider. What if someone does do it badly to you and they judge you in a way that you feel so confronted that you just can't handle it? But have you considered, even if it's delivered poorly, that in your moment of reflection, is there something that I need to deal with between me and God? Consider if we're going to love our community, do I rebuke in a slower, patient, gentler non-passive aggressive type of way if we have the tendency to be like that then we work even more harder at not being like that when have you not thought about someone who um who uh you need to forgive not that question when have you last asked for forgiveness can you can't remember should that be a moment to pause for you? Or do you ask for forgiveness all the time? That, that should also pause you to think because you just have cheap forgiveness, which is pretty rubbish as well. Like when I was a kid and the one job I had as a kid was to wipe the dishes dry. There was no dishwashers and even where there was, we didn't get one and we had to do them. And Yeah, but we'll do them, we'll do them, we'll do them. We'll do it on our time, which is bad enough, but we never got around to it. You know, teenage boys, not even... Teen- we, we didn't do it. Sorry, Mum, we'll do it next time. And around the merry-go-round goes. <laughs> cheap cheap uh, uh, asking for forgiveness and it's rubbish. Re- re- rebuking and forgiveness work in a Christian community on the basis that the community is positive, honest, loving, caring, not seeking to re- wreck relationships. You see, we don't want to be a community... And some of us have a tendency to think, okay, I need to make sure that we're a good Christian community, that we need to watch out for people who are doing the wrong thing. We don't, that's, that's not the point. We don't want to be like watchdogs ready to catch people out. So how do we not do that? Well, we deal with what we know and what we've seen. We don't, we don't try and act, act through gossip or we don't try and deal with things we haven't seen or know about um, personally. We're a community that's quick to forgive and, crucially... Sin is not continually held against someone. Forgiveness is forgiveness. Jesus forgave us for everything we have done so that we have life with him forever. It's not held against us. Jesus is our advocate. And we're not legalistic. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. Oh, And we just make all these rules to make sure we... No, no. We build each other up. Um, I was thinking about it this week and I have an idea and a suggestion for you that you can choose to do if you like. What about if this week we purposely, intentionally did something to live this out for our whole community? What about, maybe today, you just spend some time at someone at Grove that you know you should say, hey, I'm sorry for that, please forgive me. It can be a little big thing, It can be a thing that's festered for a long time. But what if we did that this week as a church community between you and that person at some time during the week that we did that and everyone else is ready that if someone says that to you, you willingly forgive them. What a good attitude and mindset that is and what a great way for us to express what we say we believe. Would you do that this week? Think about someone genuinely that you can... Say sorry to. Genuinely ask for forgiveness. Wouldn't this be a great healthy thing for our church community to be intentionally asking God? It will orient our hearts to God. The last two, I'm not going to spend as much time on. I want that one to really sit with you. The third one, don't make faith more complex than it is as you live it out. Look at verse 5 and 6, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can stay to this safe state, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Quite simply, what I just want you to take away today, something I realize I do say quite a lot, trust is trust faith equals trust. There's no mystical, super spiritual idea about trust. Trust. It is simply a, a, a way of saying, I depend upon God. I trust in Jesus for my salvation. And so then daily, as I'm on the journey, everything I do is trusting him. You don't have to look at another person in the room and think, I wish I had their big trust. You trust God. You seek to live it out. You have the same trust, the same faith. We don't need to see the super faithers and the and the little faithers. It's just a matter of living it out daily. Look at God, what he wants, how he wants us to live, to continually come back to Jesus and seek to trust in him. And when we do something that we know we haven't, we we, we acknowledge it. We seek to be different. Trusting God big things happen. That's why the illustration of the mustard seed, this little seed um, uh, we see there is uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Like It's it's a a kind of absurd um, illustration to point out your faith and your ability to have big faith isn't the thing. God is the one who does it. Your little faith, if you want to call it that, is good enough if you trust in God because he's the one that does everything. Your trust to actually invite someone... I think I've got one in my pocket. I think I put... Yeah, it is. To to grab one of these cards today and I'm going to boldly invite someone to the carols is not your brilliance. You can just do it. Whether they come or not, God is the one who's in control of all things. Just trust Him that you uh, you can invite people. So the simple application of faith is just let faith be faith. Just trust Him. If you think you're a young Christian who's got a simple faith, good, just live it out. Trust him. Your simple faith is enough. We just seek to figure out how we live it in every part of our life. Understand faith and live it out. The fourth one, servants do their duty. Let's... um. Let's read uh, these last few verses. First from verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. See, what Jesus is doing, he's comparing discipleship, following him to the attitude of a servant slave. And it shows the attitude we are to have. Service is something not to be, oh, I've got to do it. It's something to be treasured not as something despised and regrettable or that we do it sometimes, we don't want to do it all the time because it's not the the flavour of the month. A servant is concerned first with its master before it has to do anything with itself. That's what that passage is is, is highlighting for us in that illustration, isn't it? Does the master thank the slave for what he's commanded him to do? (laughs) No. Now, I've said to you uh, before that I have an affliction, and I know many of you men have this affliction as well. It's called dadulation. Does anyone know what I mean by dadulation? It's when we're at home and we do something, it's a well-known phrase, when we do something like, oh no, something monumental, like we put the garbage bin out and we walk back in, (laughs) it's all right, kids. Jen, I've got it covered. I know you've cooked all week, I put a bin out. Yep, praise me. Dadulation, right? We know we do it, men. We do something that's just doing what we do and we want the, we want the, um, the dadulation. It's ridiculous. But I've come up with another one that's like dadulation. Faithulation. That's my new word that I've made up and it's a good one, all right? It's a good one faith It's when we think that, oh, I trust God or I've done this great bit of service and so look at me, I'm wonderful, God praise me, I'm fantastic because what I have done is what you've asked me to do because you've died on the cross for me and you've faced, Jesus has faced all of your wrath for my sin which I've done because I rejected you but I actually went to church last Sunday, faith-ulation people. We're kind of a little bit like that. We just do what we're supposed to do. We don't actually think that our serving God is something that means that we should be given all praise, honor and glory. It's what a servant does, and he has given us everything. What a privilege it is to be a servant, a follower of the Lord Jesus. Doing our duty is of events of immense value because it pleases our master. It gives us a humble disposition. Our obedience is not a cause for merit. Our obedience is what we want to do. I had a really significant moment when I was at Bible college. It was kind of like a moment that passed by, but it's just stuck with me. Um, One of the great uh, evangelists in Australia, John Chapman, who's uh, who's, uh, died now, uh, and he he was a great evangelist, he, he preached and preached and preached the gospel in all sorts of contexts all around the world in Australia, um, and he, he was teaching us about preaching at one point, and he was kind of like a guest preacher, and he'd come, he come on in, and when you're, at, when you're at Bible college or when you're at university, you know how you're trying to figure out the why all the time? Why do you do that? Why do you do this? And I'll do that, but I've got to figure out the why, and we're, and we're, we're doing that, we're discussing, why do you go about this? And he just stops, and he just goes, I won't do his accent, but he says, Brothers, just do your duty and preach the gospel. And we all kind of went, oh, okay, let's stop arguing and let's actually just... And it just kind of, it stuck with me so clearly because sometimes it's just a a matter of realising we're God's people and he wants us to tell others. It's our duty. That's all there is to it. The beauty of the gospel and the revelation that we have is that we understand it clarity. We understand the why because God has revealed himself in Jesus. We understand the character of God. We understand why we do things because we were made in God's image. We broke that image. He restores us in Jesus and so we live it out. We know that marriage is between a man and a female. Sex is for marriage. That's it. But we know why because he actually reveals us to us in far more detail. You do your duty. You follow what God says. Servants do their duty. So be a willing servant of God, is what I want to encourage you today. Get on with it. What am I supposed to do? Do it. This doesn't detract from God being God and us being his people if we just have this greater sense of duty. You know, the way of highlighting that is God's people meet together and this I could, I could spend an hour or more arguing for you why it's good for us to do that and how the Bible reveals that to us. But I read Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing and I'm like, it's our duty to meet together, that should be enough. But we actually know why. What mind shi- mindset shift do you need when you are tempted to have faith elation and think that your faith deserves praise? Let God be God, and you be the servant. Know what service involves, and willingly do it. as we've spent today reflecting on what Jesus has done for us and how he's washed us clean and celebrating that we don't stop at the door we walk in and today you're being challenged by God's word to consider do you care about teaching on salvation and how you live are you willing to receive godly rebuke and offer forgiveness take that challenge that I've given you today I'm convinced that if we did that and we, we won't know if we do it unless you do it with one other person that it would be good for us and good for our community that we understand our faith day by day and we live it out and that we're a willing servant of God let me pray Father my prayer today for all of us is that we are just genuine disciples. And when we get it wrong, we come back to you, we come back to each other, and we live in the community that you have so wonderfully given us. Help us to trust you, to serve you willingly, to love each other with forgiveness, and to care about how you saved us and how you want us to live. Amen.